What wonderful, comforting words that we have. That the Lord Jesus, when he left, he didn't leave us as orphans, but he has brought us into his family and has made us one in him. Such a great God, such a great Savior. Just before we come around the Lord's words, will you just bow your heads with me and let's just go to prayer. Father, we want to thank you. God, no matter how many times we say it, Lord, we are just still enamored and in awe of who you are and what you have done. We thank you, God, that you, your desire is for us to have this intimate relationship with you, Lord. That, God, we see it out in the wilderness as you dwelt among your people, Father, in a tent. And, God, you provided, Lord, uh, a number of different laws and rules and regulations that they had to do it because you are so holy, Father, but yet you wanted to dwell among your people. And, Father, we thank you that as, Lord, the, your word, it moves forward, Lord God, in the coming of the Messiah, we see how you put on, Lord God, Father, and you come and dwell with us, Lord Jesus, in a, not a, a tent made out of ramskins, but of flesh. And now you indwell your people. God, you are a good God, and we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we pray now that will you open hearts and open minds, Lord, and will you, Lord, speak to us, that as you inspired, Lord God, the gospel writers and those who, Lord, put uh, the, the quill, Lord God, to papyrus and wrote your holy word, Father, you are a God who spoke way back when, and you are a God who continues to speak to us today. So, Father, we pray, will you speak as hearts are open? Lord, minister your word, divide your truth, and Lord, edify, encourage, and build all for your glory. For in Jesus' name we pray. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever come across certain types of people in the church where when you ask them the simplest of all questions, their answer is always a little extra? <laughs> I mean, you say, hi, how are you? And they will respond with, I am blessed and highly favored. <laughs> now, I get the sentiment behind it. And if they're a follower of Jesus, then that is certainly the case. However, I don't think they fully realize the weight and the gravitas of what they are actually saying. Now, allow me to insert a little footnote in here. When some people respond in this manner, it is because they are genuinely content with what God has done for them, and I'm not knocking that. But there are others who respond in this manner, and their situation, it paints a different picture, but they dare not utter a negative word for fear of looking as if they, are, they have a lack of faith, which isn't true. Because when the scriptures tell us that we are blessed, they are not denying the reality of our situation, but rather they are speaking right into it. And when Jesus calls us blessed, he is speaking from heaven's perspective and from heaven's vantage point. Amen? Amen. And so that said, today 
we begin a brand new series entitled Blessed. And it is taken from one of the most greatest of sermons ever to be preached. In fact, the words of this sermon have been printed onto greeting cards, posters, mugs, and uh, t-shirts, etc. And they have revolutionized the lives of many. The sermon that I am speaking of is, of course, from the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and more specifically, the Beatitudes. And for this series, I have gleaned some wonderful insights from various theologians like Daryl Johnson and many others. And I pray that you are simply blessed this morning. Do you see what I did just there? Bless you too, brother. And so if you have your Bibles with you, then please open up and come with me to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to read from chapter 5 and verses 1 to 12. And it reads, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, who, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. G.K. Chesterton, that great philosopher from the last century, once said, On first reading, you feel the Beatitudes turn everything upside down. But the second time you read them, you discover that they actually turn everything the right side up. The first time you read them, you feel that they are impossible. The second time you read them, you feel nothing else is possible. Now, before we get into the Beatitudes, it is imperative that we understand them within their context. Because our Lord, he never spoke these words out into a vacuum or a void, but rather they were spoken into a particular cultural setting. And so to unlock their meaning, we need to understand their context. Because as scholars warn, separate the Beatitudes from their context and they either become an unachievable pipe dream or they become an oppressive legalism. I'll repeat that. Separate the Beatitudes from their context and they become either an unattainable pipe dream or 
and oppressive legalism. And so, to set our text into context, we note that our Lord first spoke his beatitudes along with the Sermon on the Mount immediately after the announcement of the kingdom of his gospel. Matthew 4.23, it says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And what exactly is his gospel? Verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or as Mark puts it, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1, 15. And so, the gospel, according to our Lord, is that something spectacular is about to happen. That history has now reached a climax, a tipping point, and the long-awaited kingdom of our God is finally about to break in. That the time is fulfilled, and we are now moving from an old era into a new one, so repent. And that word, it means turn around, change your mind. That you are headed in a wrong direction, so do a U-turn and believe the gospel. In other words, turn around and put your full weight onto his gospel. Believe it, receive it, and embrace it. And as you do, you will become blessed people, or more specifically, a beatitude people. Praise God. Now, in giving the Beatitudes, our Lord, in effect, is painting a picture of those in whom his gospel has grabbed a hold of and is taking root. Those who have done that U-turn and have embraced the kingdom of our King. And before we look at each of the Beatitudes over the coming weeks, we need to take a note of just a few things. Are you ready? Firstly, note how all eight Beatitudes are placed in a parenthesis, or if you like, they are bracketed with the words, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As in the first and the eighth beatitude, both end with this same line. And Johnson argues that because that's the case, exegetically, we could also apply that same line after each beatitude. For instance, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and so on and so forth. Note also how it says theirs is, not theirs will be, but theirs already, it's already theirs. Also note the position of the pronoun. 
that it's at the beginning of the Beatitude for emphasis. In that, theirs is the kingdom, not the kingdom is theirs. The implication being is that theirs and theirs only is the kingdom. In other words, Jesus is saying that those who are not these things, poor, meek, mournful, etc., are those who haven't yet received the kingdom. Make sense? It will. Stick with me. Another thing to note is that our Lord here, he isn't describing eight different kinds of people within the kingdom. In that he is not saying that when the kingdom comes in, some will be poor while others will mourn and others will be meek, etc. No. But as John Stott and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones state, our Lord is describing eight different qualities of the same kingdomized people. That when the kingdom breaks in, those who have been arrested by the good news of the gospel will as a result become poor in spirit, mournful and meek. They will hunger and thirst for righteousness and they will be merciful and they will be pure in heart and peaceful and finally they will be persecuted. And more on that later. Because each of the Beatitudes, they bleed and flow into the next, as we will see in the coming weeks. But in each case, and in each Beatitude, our Lord calls us blessed. Hallelujah. Now, there has been much debate over this word, blessed. Would you believe? The Greek term for it is the term makarios. Can you say that? Makarios. Well done. And even though it has been translated as happy, that's not a very good translation. Because happiness, it depends on our circumstances. And as you know, our circumstances and life isn't a straight trajectory. It is up and down. There are peaks as well as troughs. And so happy are the poor in spirit? Really? I'll leave that there. Some have suggested the words fortunate, approved, or congratulations as a translation. But that implies that we have somehow earned or achieved our way to something, right? Others still have suggested that blessed is more like right on or right side up, in sync and in alignment. But I love what theologian Karl Barth once suggested. Are you ready? He translated the term makarios as you lucky bums. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Are you poor in spirit? Persecuted? You lucky bums. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. 
Hallelujah. Now, what we need to understand is that this term, makarios, is more from heaven's perspective, not man's. Because from God's perspective, if you are these eight qualities, then you are blessed right on, right up, in sync and in alignment with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Congratulations, you lucky bums, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Glory. One final thing. The qualities that our Lord calls blessed, they cannot be manufactured by the flesh. No, we cannot produce any of them. But rather, they are a result of his kingdom breaking in. And they are the result of our encounter with the Christ and his gospel grabbing a hold of us. Because when it does, these qualities begin to appear in our lives. Praise him. So that's the intro and the backdrop to our series. Are you still with me? Yes. Shall we continue? Yes. Great. And so with all that in mind, let us very briefly look at the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that even mean exactly? Because in Matthew it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, while over in Luke it just says, blessed are the poor. So does that mean that if you're rich, you're not blessed? And if you have too much money in the bank, then you need to give it away or tithe it all to the church? Now, there's a sermon for another day. <laughs> now, scholars have wondered... Is Matthew spiritualizing Luke by adding the words poor in spirit? Or is Luke socializing Matthew by dropping the words in spirit? Well, they are both writing from a different perspective and with a different emphasis. But in effect, they are saying a similar thing. And in regard to the variation in both Gospels, it is likely that our Lord, like any good teacher, would often repeat himself on many different occasions as he unraveled the mystery of the kingdom. What's more is that in Matthew 5.1, Jesus is clearly on the top of a mountain, while in Luke 6.17, he is clearly standing on level ground. Hence, Matthew's account is known as the Sermon on the Mount, while in Luke, it is known as the Sermon on the Plain. But coming back to the question of, is Jesus speaking to material wealth? The answer is no. So those of you who are minted can breathe and <laughs> relax. Because nowhere in the scriptures is material poverty ever held up to be the standard or the ideal condition. No, you will not find that 
anywhere. And even though Luke stresses the importance of Jesus' teaching on the poor more than any other gospel, it would be wrong to romanticize or to superimpose material poverty onto the words of our Lord as recorded in Luke. Right? Now, in the Greek, there are two words that are translated as poor. One of them describes those who, even though they are poor, however, they are at least able to make ends meet and survive. The other word describes those who have absolutely nothing, and therefore they are forced to beg. And it's this second word that Jesus uses here. It's the term patokoi, blessed are the patokoi in spirit. The destitute, the beggarly, those who have empty hands and empty pockets, who have absolutely nothing. Congratulations, right on, says the bringer of good news. In sync and in alignment are those who approach the living God in this manner. Why? Because the poor in spirit are those who know they have absolutely nothing to bring to the party, as it were. That they are utterly destitute of everything. Now, a slight point of in, uh, clarification here. The poor do not inherit the kingdom because of their material poverty. No. That would be a perversion of the gospel and it would imply a salvation via a class system which is abhorrent. Rather, the poor in spirit are those who cannot do anything for themselves but are reliant upon others. That they stand before the world in utter helplessness and they feel their own sense of inadequacy in the things of God. That they are spiritually bankrupt and impoverished. Or to put it another way, they are not full of themselves but rather they are empty and lowly and they are at the mercy of the one who brings his kingdom. And unless God comes through for them, they will go under. There are no two ways about it. And it is these that Jesus calls blessed. Praise him. And in truth, that's the condition of us all, is it not? That before the Lord we are nothing and we have nothing before him. Or in the words of that great hymn, the rock of ages, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. Amen. Now, 
even though that's our condition. Not everyone recognizes it. But the poor in spirit do. And they lay aside any pretense and any facade and they simply come. And as they do, they hear the master's voice calling them blessed. Glory. Now, as you know, Scripture interprets Scripture. And on that note, come with me to the Gospel of Luke 18, 10 to 14, if you have a Bible or an iPad or an iPhone, whatever it is that you're carrying this morning. As I believe that this portion of Scripture captures the heart of this first beatitude. Jesus said, Two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see the difference? You see... The Pharisee put his trust in himself and all of the things that he was doing for God, which is another way of describing self-sufficiency, in that he stood proud before God, clutching onto straws and propping himself up by pointing towards the sins of others, boasting that he wasn't like them, that he fasted, twice a week, and he tithed all that he had. In other words, he ticked the religious box. He appeased his conscience, and now he believed God owed him. Wow. But on the other hand, the poor tax collector never even dared to lift his face he also never compared himself because he knew what he was, the lowest of the low. And so he wasn't banking on any of those things, but all he could do was beat his breast and display his sorrow over his sin and plead, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And out of the two, Jesus says, that this one, the tax collector, went home justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Or to put it another way, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Amen. Now, why is poverty of spirit a mark of those who have been grabbed by the gospel? And why is it the first beatitude? Well, because when we encounter the Christ and when we see how stunningly, breathtakingly glorious he is, how marvelous and majestic and mighty, and I'm running out of descriptions here. We also catch a glimpse of who we are and how far we have fallen from what he destined us to be. And we cannot but humble ourselves before him. Because we are so incredibly marred and messed up and yet he sets his seal of love upon us. And the very thought of that ought to put us on our faces in worship before him. In fact, I love what Tim Keller once said. He said, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves and we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. I'll say that again. That we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Wow. And when we encounter the Christ, his mercy and his compassion, his love and his truth, our illusion of self-deception shatters. And like Peter, we fall to our knees and we cry, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Luke 5, 8. And Peter here isn't suffering from self-esteem issues. No. But rather he became aware of what he is and who he was made to be. And the two are worlds apart. And that causes him to hide and to cover himself with fig leaves, just as our forefathers, Adam and Eve. But our Lord... His gaze towards him isn't one of ruin, but it is one of grace. And he beckons him and he calls him to himself just as he calls us. Wow. Praise him. Brennan Manning, who's probably best known for his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, he spent most of his life as a priest and before the light of the kingdom dawned on him, he said, the poor in spirit are like the survivors of a shipwreck out at sea. That all the things they relied on, past achievements, accumulated wealth, degrees, titles, honors, all of those do not really matter when one is drifting out at sea. The only thing that matters is that plank of wood that comes nearby and you grab it for dear life and you do not let it 
go. Manning writes, The shipwrecked have stood at the still point of a turning world and discover that the human heart was made for Jesus Christ and cannot really be content with less. They cannot take seriously the demands that the world makes on them. We were made for Christ and nothing else will ever satisfy. He goes on. The shipwrecked have little in common with the landlocked. The landlocked have their security system, their home-based credentials and bonds and self-interest and investments intact. They never find themselves because they never really feel themselves lost. The shipwrecked, on the contrary, reach out for that passing plank with the desperation of the drowning, adrift on an angry sea and in a state of utter helplessness and vulnerability. The shipwrecked never ask what they could do to merit the plank and inherit the kingdom of dry land. They know that there was absolutely nothing any of them could do. But like little children, they simply receive the plank as a gift. And little children are precisely those who haven't done anything. Unless you become like little children, you cannot or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, said our Lord. Matthew 18, 3. Blessed are the incompetent in spirit. For theirs and theirs only is the kingdom. In other words, this first beatitude, it serves a deathly blow to our self-sufficiency and our self-saviorship, which as you know, is an illusion anyhow. But when we come to him humbly, and when we recognize our need for him, he calls us son or daughter. Because the poor in spirit know that they do not or will not ever have it all together. And therefore they are primed to receive the kingdom of heaven. In fact, there will never be a time where we will ever outgrow our need for Jesus. Because even in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, we will still be heavily reliant upon him. Because he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1. Amen. And so, let us lay aside our pretense and our facade that we have it all together. And let us recognize him for who he is and let us lean into him. That without him, we can do absolutely nothing. Because when we do, we will hear the master call us blessed 
And if you're here this morning and you recognize your own spiritual poverty, that you've been doing life in your own steam and you see the futility of it all, then just do a U-turn and embrace the kingdom of the king today. Because Jesus is standing here with arms wide open and he is ready to meet with you and to receive you. And if that means anything to you this morning, then in a moment I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And I would love to pray with you. But come to him today and he will do you no wrong. For those of us who know the Lord, but perhaps our walk may have called for one reason or another. To you, I want to say, fully surrender to him today. That unlike a marriage proposal, instead of going down on one knee in half surrender, go down on both knees in full surrender to Jesus. Because as we do, And as we continually give ourselves to him, we will receive his life, his love, his power and joy and so much more. All of it becomes ours in Christ Jesus. And on top of all of that, Jesus calls us blessed. Congratulations, you lucky bums, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Before we pray, I want to give you an opportunity to respond that if any of these words that have been uttered today speak to your heart, if you see and you recognize your own sense that actually you don't have it all together, that we can't, you know, we, we can kid our friends and our neighbors and all of those, our colleagues, but we can never kid or fool God because he sees beyond our pretense and our facade. And even seeing that, he invites us and says, come to me, put your masks away, and I will clothe you. That's what he did for our forefathers, didn't he? When they covered themselves with fig leaves, and he then covered them with animal skins, and they were covered. And now he covers us with something greater, the blood of the Lamb that speaks a better word over us. It's a covenant that he has cut and he will never do us wrong, but he invites us to come to him. So if that's your heart this morning, and if you are and you realize and you recognize that you do not know this savior, then come to him today. And if that's you, just raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Is there one here? this morning that recognizes that they want to know this Savior. I see that and you can put it down. Thank you, Jesus.
for the rest of us. Let's keep coming to him. And as we keep exposing ourselves to his truth and his love, the more strengthened and built up we become and he calls us blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, Lord, all that you do. We thank you, God, that you never invite us to meet you on your terms, Lord God, but you, Father, stoop low and condescend and you meet us where we are, Lord, and you bring us to, Lord, who you are. And I thank you, Father, that that first step, Lord God, that, Lord, you already made that step. You take uh, ten steps towards us, Father, and more. And you beckon us and call us to come to you. And, Father, as we come, seeing what we are, Lord, what we have made of your creation and of ourselves, and as we see the glory and the beauty of you, Father, you draw us continually. And so, Father, I pray... Will you help us, Lord God, that even when we are charmed by the things of this world, Lord, wean us off those things. And Lord, wean us onto you. Draw us onto you, God. Feed us, Lord. Lead us, God. And empower us to become more and more like Jesus. And Father, we thank you that from heaven's perspective, Lord, we are blessed, Lord, as we follow you, as we seek you. And as we love you, cause us to grow in you, God. And Lord, may we do all of these things in your blessed name. In Jesus' name, amen.